0: The AMA Moving Medicine podcast highlights innovation and emerging issues that impact physicians and patients today. I'm your host, Todd Unger, Chief Experience Officer at the AMA. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's Moving Medicine video and podcast. Today, we're talking with Dr. Mercy Aditoye a clinical lecturer in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Michigan Medical School in Ann Arbor, Michigan, about how residency programs can improve the training experience of underrepresented, minoritized individuals. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Dr. Atatoye, thanks for joining us. Uh, you've compiled a checklist of recommendations for residency programs to help them increase diversity and inclusion Uh, in both the recruitment process and the training experience. And I think it might be helpful just kind of wind the clock back a little bit and think about your own experiences as a medical student and resident. How did that experience lead you to this point?
1: Absolutely. So during my time in medical school, um, there were a lot of experiences that um, helped support the reflections. I consider these recommendations based on reflections on my experiences in medical school. But although I had personal experiences, I think that they're universal. A lot of minoritized individuals in medicine experienced similar, um, similar episodes,
0: let's say. What, you know, when you think back about those experiences, is it is there anything that stands out in your mind that really had an impact on you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when I thought about, um, in fact, at the end of medical school and transitioning for residency, I really thought about how I would present myself to residency programs. I was very concerned about what image I was putting out there, nor am I wearing my hair in a fro. And so during the residency interviews, I decided to wear a weave to um, seem more approachable, more likable for residency programs.
0: Any other things, uh, any other changes you made or things you reflect on that uh, you'd do differently?
1: Yeah, well, that I would do differently at this time or that Mm -hmm. I would do differently. Yeah. Well, I actually think that now that I've been through it, I I would be more authentic to myself. I think that 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 is very in, important. I still think that the way that I approached, you know, the specific questions that I asked program directors wouldn't change because I really needed to have an understanding of who really supported diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts and where I would feel protected as a trainee.
0: Well, we know uh, that having a diverse physician workforce is. Uh, important in so many ways, not the least of which is patient outcomes. Um, can you talk about you know that connection uh, between diversity and patient health?
1: Absolutely. So what we see right now, medical students are becoming more increasingly diverse, but we, like I'm a family medicine trained physician. And so residents, faculty leadership still lag behind in terms of the patient population of minority individuals. So studies have shown that diversity within medicine contributes to improve health outcomes, decrease health disparities, and then increase patient satisfaction. So the idea is that if you have a physician caring for a patient and they have similar ethnic, racial, and language background, you have improved health outcomes
0: from them. You know, uh, we talked with Dr. Bill McDade from ACGME uh, a couple of months ago. I know there are a lot of people working on this problem, and and, and it really starts with the pipeline and then goes into recruitment. Um, You know, a lot of uh, programs are saying they're, you know, they're committed to recruiting diverse candidates. And um, yet only a few short years ago, when you were a student beginning your residency interviews, You said, interesting, that the burden seemed to fall mostly on you uh, to figure out which programs made you feel protected and supported. Uh, Can you tell us more about what you mean by that?
1: Absolutely. So one, I created a lot of questions that I wanted to ask residency programs. So to figure out what could be the best for me um, in terms of education and also experience, but I struggled with one topic, how to determine which programs value diversity and inclusion. So essentially trying to determine whether or not my minority status would affect my education at a particular program. So for instance, if a patient asks for strictly Caucasian physicians, how would the program respond? So ideally, I would just say, hey, will my Blackness be an issue with faculty or co-residents or patients in the program? And But in the end, it shouldn't fall on the trainee to determine this. So how do you ask this question without changing the way the interviewer perceives you? And ultimately, I just decided just to ask each program director how he or she defined an a, diversity and inclusion and what it meant to him and meant him or her. So by asking that you can figure out who previously thought about this topic, who was making it up and who didn't care much to engage
0: with it. That's interesting. Were there any other kind of questions that you, uh, that you came up with that kind of got, got to that response that you were looking for?
1: Yeah. I, I asked, I also asked about how the experience was for other minority trainees in, in the program, um, just to see if it's something that they thought about kind of separating that group and saying, hey, are these experiences pretty unique within our program to see if anything has come up.
0: So I know uh, you've done a lot of thinking about how you can kind of shift that. Uh, you know, at least anticipating questions like that and being more proactive, at least from program director standpoint, how, you know, what suggestions did you have for program directors to be better prepared and to deal with that proactively rather than making you do the work?
1: Absolutely. So I think that all program directors and any recruiting committee should participate in bias training, recognize those biases leave them at the door. But I also think it's very important that you assume the candidate knows his or her minority status and that program directors should feel empowered to assess the candidates or trainees level of comfort in discussing issues of race, equity, and bias. So be direct and ask the, the, the candidate, um, are you concerned about, about this? Um, are you concerned that this might affect your training? Uh, this can also be done in a survey prior to the interviewees showing up. And I also think that program directors should acknowledge a candidate's minority status, but also state very plainly that their education not be, should not be impacted by that status. And if mm. anything comes up, I would like you to tell me. You should tell us right away. And this is exactly
0: what we're going to
1: do about it.
0: You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. So past the recruitment stage and into kind of the training, let's move there. Uh, You had an experience uh, during your last year of residency that illustrated you know why we can't assume that the day-to-day experiences of seeing patients is the same for everybody. Um, can you talk about that situation and you know what you learned and how your program responded?
1: Absolutely. So in my last year of residency, um, it was actually on one of my final shifts at our rural hospital. I was working in my call, my workroom, and overheard two male voices and a female voice arguing the merits of the police kneeling on George Floyd's neck. Um, the, The argument being that since Mr. Floyd was resisting arrest, the method of restraint was justified. And then the female voice agreed, but said, hey, the police should not have killed Mr. Floyd. So I walked out of the room and saw two Caucasian security guards and one Caucasian nurse staring at me. And of course they cast their eyes down. The conversation stopped. At that point, I was a third year resident. So one that's more empowered. I have my voice and I was pretty fed up with the The things, microaggressions and macroaggressions that have been ongoing. So that was one of the first times I actually communicated with my residency leadership about what was going on. And I was surprised and very pleased that they were very, very concerned, very responsive. And now the Royal Hospital has a diversity committee to ensure that we improve the experience um, for staff and for patients alike.
0: Were you, you know, how did you feel about that response?
1: I was actually, because, you know, over the last, year and a half, it's been very in vogue to think about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. So I was shocked that the hospital didn't have a diversity committee already, but I was very impressed at how quickly moving that was in terms of, hey, this is an issue. Um, thank you for bringing it up. We, we need to do something about it to make it a more inclusive environment for all.
0: Well, uh, in, in keeping with a lot of the other stories you told, you have proactively developed your own kind of program that has uh, five different points. Um, you know, the first one is about being proactive and about identifying potential challenges uh, upfront. Um, can we dig a little deeper into that? Tell us about that.
1: Absolutely. So, I think step one you have to know your community very well. So as a program director, as leader, leaders, knowing that what um, the community is so that you can communicate um, any particular challenges that might arise with your minority trainees. So for instance, having a black physician working in an overwhelmingly white commun- um, community, communicate these with trainees so that this will help the trainee for- prepare them for any potential discrimination they may face in training so they're just aware not that you can cover the gamut of that but so that they're aware that hey we recognize that your experience might be a little different we don't think that this should should impact your education here we should know about it
0: and then that leads to your step two
1: Yeah, absolutely. I do think that leadership across training institutions at all levels should be very vocal about the intolerance of discrimination, not saying anything is essentially supporting racism, sexism. Um, So programs should discuss how they will support trainees in this situation, but make it very clear, state it very plainly that discrimination is not tolerated.
0: Your your third recommendation is something that's, you know, so incredibly important during, you know, this time right now, which is about education and training of staff and faculty. What's involved in that?
1: Institutions should consider highlighting mentorship, advising, coaching from interested faculty who are racially and ethnically congruent with trainees so that trainees do not have to seek this out on their own. One of the difficult ty- times for me was trying to figure out where to go with this, who can I talk to with these issues that were occurring. It is important to provide time for faculty of color to serve as mentors.
0: Well, your last recommendation is about uh institutionalizing these changes, you know, why is that so important and how do you do it?
1: Yeah. So I think that um, putting these policies in place, it cannot depend, be dependent on the goodwill of one individual. So I am now somebody that's out of training and released, you know, that clinical lecturer, faculty physician. And so I, can, I won't be the voice for the residents in, in the specific program, but I think that we can do better, right? Because we know that increasing physician diversity, supporting trainees with difficulty, these difficult experiences will prepare us for um, a population that's much more diverse. So the making it, you know, putting where your mouth, your money where your mouth is in terms of, you know, we do not Tolerate discrimination. Um, We do support minority trainees. That, like, actually making the policy official will go a long way to provide lasting change in medicine.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Aditoye. Really appreciate your perspective. And thanks for sharing uh, your plan with our audience out there. And that's it for today's Moving Medicine video and podcast. You can join us for future episodes of Moving Medicine by subscribing at AMA ASSN.org slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please take care. I'm Todd Unger, and this has been Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. You can subscribe to Moving Medicine and other great AMA podcasts anywhere you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org podcasts. Thank you for listening.